So now before I jump into this, before I jump into this, I want to say there is no, there are no big issues here at Grace Chapel. Okay, because I preach sermons like this sometimes and people, they sit there the entire time worried about, is there problems? Do we have problems? Are anybody causing issues? Is it, is it me? And they, and they sit and they really are concerned about it. You know, what's going on? Why would he talk about this? I'm talking about this because we're in the series and I want to talk about a, a specific individual. So there are no major issues going on in the church. I didn't pick this sermon because you or anyone around you is giving the church problems. Okay, so Take a deep breath and relax, okay? Because it's, it's just a sermon based upon the Word of God. It is not a sermon based upon someone's doing something and, oh no, are they bothering Pastor Jeff? No, it's all good. That We are at the healthiest we've ever been in this church's history and it's so, so enjoyable to be the senior pastor of this church, have the staff that we have, that the people that we have, and the, all of it has just been so, so positive. So, this morning... We're going to continue our series, Portraits, all right? And I want to talk about someone who we're, uh, some, most of us, most people would be unfamiliar with, all right? Now, Moses, Moses was a man that God had chosen to lead the people. There was no question whatsoever that Moses was God's representative. God chose Moses, So no question whatsoever. Now, Moses himself may have had a few questions. Moses himself may have kind of challenged God a little bit. Are you sure you want to pick me? But God, on the other hand, had no concerns whatsoever. He put Moses in place. But Moses is not the main character this morning. This morning, the main character is a man named Korah. And we find his story... We find a story in, in Numbers, in Numbers chapter 16, starting in verses 1 and 2. It says, Korah, son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dahem, and Abiram, son of Eliab, and On, son of Peleth, became insolent and rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had, made, uh, who had been appointed members of the council. So Korah was of the tribe of Levi, okay? He was a, a, a Levite. Even though he was a Levite, he did not um, enjoy or appreciate or was not satisfied with his position or his responsibilities, now, Levite, you say, what's a Levite? A Levite is a person of, of, of deep character, okay? They had incredible character. They had incredible conviction. These were servants of God. They served at the highest spiritual level. The Levites were, were people who, who, who took care of the temple, if you will. I'm not going to go into all the details, but that's who the Levites were. Korah was a Levite. Korah wanted to be a priest, And he may have wanted to be the high priest. The only problem with wanting to be the high priest is that was Aaron's job. Aaron was appointed by God to be the high priest. That was his job. Now, you say, what's a priest? A Levite and a priest. A a priest is someone who, who basically serves as a mediator between God and the people. The priest is the one who goes before and presents the, the sacrifices of the people to God. He represents the people. He brings the sacrifice of the people before God. The people at this time were not able to do that. You had to be a priest to enter into the presence of God. So that would be a priest. And Korah didn't accept his role as a Levite. 
he wasn't happy about it. And that was really at the heart of his rebellion against Moses and Aaron. That was at the heart of his rebellion. And as we all know, when someone is dissatisfied with something, whether it's at work or whether it's at church or whether it's at school or whether it's wherever, if someone's dissatisfied, they rarely keep it to themselves, right? Right? I'm, I, they don't, they, oh, you know, I have some issues with it and I'm just going to go before the Lord and pray about it by myself, keep it to myself and then bring that directly to the person who I have an issue with. That's not what happens. If people are dissatisfied, if they're upset about something, they let everyone else know about it most of the time. Now, Dadham, Abiram, uh, and On were Reubenites. They were, their ancestor was Reuben. Reuben was the firstborn of Jacob, but lost his position as first among the tribes. He lost that position. God chose Judah instead. So, they had a chip on their shoulders, if you will. And so it wasn't, it, it was pretty easy to persuade, for Korah to persuade them to get on board. Again, you got this chip going on, things in the past. So next you have the 250 princes, if you will. The princes were, the 250 men that were chosen for this position uh, were, were basically chosen to be in leadership and they were well, well-respected men within the community. So they had a lot of pull. They had a lot of influence. So Korah gets this group of people together. He gets the 250 princes to kind of go along with him. These people most likely were also dissatisfied with Moses' leadership for all kinds of little reasons that maybe happened in the past and their, their, you know, their heritage and their lineage and what happened. So they had all kinds of little issues going on. So it must not have taken much to get these guys to join in. All right. All you need to go do is go find some people and talk to them and say, you know, you remember in the past this happened to you and your family. And I remember this happened over here. Yeah, boy, and we're still bitter about it. And so you get all these people, you whip these people up into a frenzy. And it wouldn't it wouldn't be very difficult for him to get some of these guys to join in. So Korah used his relationship with the 250 leaders here to influence most people to to raise their voice of dissension, if you will, of disagreement, and confront Moses and Aaron. So now you have, okay, you've kind of whipped everybody into a frenzy of Korah, you have the other three, and then you have the 250, and they're influencing other people, and they're getting this kind of uprising against Moses and Aaron. So Korah, once he feels like he has a little bit of a backing, he goes to Moses and Aaron in Numbers chapter 16 and verse 3, and he presents his case. And this is what he says. You take too much upon yourselves for all the generation uh, is for all that for all the congregation is holy. Every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? See, I think this is a pretty sneaky presentation. He goes before Moses and basically says, hey, you're not the only holy ones here. You're not the only one that has God, you know, that has God on his side, if you will. Why do you, why do you kind of lord it over us? Why are, why are you putting yourself above everyone else? So he has a sneaky presentation. What he's doing is they're, that basically they're all complaining about the exclusiveness of holiness of the priests. Because they're, you know, they're the ones who go before the Lord. And, you know, if you look at it, who, who has the power, if you will? In this situation, and I'm not using the power in actually a bad, a bad term, but when you don't have that authority, you don't have that power, you seek after it. And that's what they were doing. 
And so they were, they were complaining about the exclusiveness of the priesthood. And they said, listen to what he says, everyone is holy before the Lord. Everyone is holy before the Lord. God is among us all. Not just you. But he's wrong. Because if theologically, if you know now, I've said to you before, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Why? Because of a relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. We can enter into the Holy of Holies because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And we have a relationship with Him. His blood covers us from all of our sin and allows us to enter into the very presence of God the Father. We've been talking about this for months, how we're seeking the presence of God, how we want to be in the presence of God. We're talking about that because we have the opportunity through Jesus Christ. They did not. They're thousands of years ahead, okay, theologically. They say, we're all holy. All of us are part. We can all enter in. Mm -mm. That's not how it worked. We're under grace. They're still under law. And what he was saying, here's his argument. Here's basically why I said it was a sneaky presentation. Here's what he's saying. That's not fair. That's not fair. See, that's not fair is a great way to rally the troops against someone else. See, that's not fair, guys. That's not fair. Why should that side of the room have... You know, that's not fair. And people naturally, your sin nature responds to that's not fair. I was wrong. And that's what he's doing. He's getting everybody and saying, it's not fair. See what I'm talking about? That's not fair. Why should they and why should he... And, And he gets everybody rallied up with that's not fair. It starts with children. We know this, right? How many parents? How often have you heard raising your children? If you had a dollar for every time you heard, that's not fair. You'd be all we'd all be rich. Right? That's not fair. Why should that's not fair that he? That's not fair. Why can't I? That's not fair. That's not fair is a battle cry. And all you need to do is find some people who have a little bit of history and things aren't going exactly the way they that's not how I would do it, right? And throw out the that's not fair. What they think they're basically they think they're holier than thou. Well, they actually are holier than thou. In this case, but that's what they're saying. That's not fair. So Dedham and Abiram's complaint also challenges Moses' effectiveness as a leader. Now, I'm going to stop, and I have to get this absolutely clear. Rebellion against Moses and Aaron is rebellion against God, period. God put them in place. So this is not about one group of people and another group of people. Rebellion against God's anointed that he has put in place in this context is rebellion against God himself. See, in their estimation, Moses had not done a very good job. In Numbers 16, 13, it says, Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land of... Listen, you have to listen to this. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? I love it. That you should keep acting like a prince over us? Where is this land of milk and honey from which they came? This is Egypt, a land of slavery, genocide, and death. They were saying Egypt, okay? That Egypt was a great place, remember? Why'd you bring us out here? Complaint, complaint, complaint. Go read the Old Testament. Complaint. Why did you bring us out here to die? We were better off in Egypt. We were better off in Egypt. Let's just go back to Egypt. Let's choose some leaders and go back to Egypt. And so they're doing basically the same thing to Moses here. Egypt's a place flowing with milk and honey. Why would you bring us out here in the desert to die? Up is down and down is up. I want you to think of it. 
Up is down and down is up. They wanted, they wanted, to, get, they wanted to get their own way, so they, they distorted reality. And you think, well, how could they do that? I see this all the time with people. All, all the time. I've seen it so often. People want something, so, so what they do is they make the world fit their reality. Right? You know it. Just think about it for a second. Someone wants something, and so what they start doing is they start talking, and they make the world fit their reality. And you're saying, that's, that's ridiculous. That, that didn't happen, or that's just, you know that's not true. And they're like, no, no, oh, no, no, blah, 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 this, that, and the other thing. They rewrite history to fit their narrative. If their narrative, if history doesn't fit their narrative, they rewrite history. So-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so did that, and then they did this, and you're like, what? That's not how it happened. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. They rewrite history to fit their narrative. It's absolutely amazing. It's where we get the phrase, the ends justify the means come from. Because people think, even if I have to lie and move things around and change a little and create a little reality, the end result puts me in a position of authority. I'm a much better leader than Moses. So therefore, the ends justify the means, even though, even though maybe this is not all correct, at the end, it'll work out way better if we just switch this whole thing around. And so the ends justify the means. They bend truth, okay? They bend truth. They, they manipulate circumstances to fit their agenda, to fit it. Their behavior showed contempt for God's words. Under their behavior, what they're doing, shows contempt for God's words. Why? Because it was God, okay? It was God who promised them that they would enter the promised land. Not Moses. God was speaking through Moses. Moses didn't make a promise to the people that they were going to enter the promised land. God made a promise to the people that they would enter the promised land. God was speaking through Moses. So they were actually attacking God's very own words. See, the big issue here is these people question God's leadership. We think, well, why will God respond the way God responds sometimes? God's not misunderstanding what's going on here. God, I mean, can you just imagine, you've, you've been from Egypt and you went all the way to this point. You've seen what God has done. God is the one who's in charge. Think about it. God was the one who brought his people out of Egypt and into the wilderness. God did that. God is the one who told Moses what to do and where to go. God is the one who chose that an entire generation of people would not take possession of the promised land. And they're ticked. Some of them are ticked about it. Those who, the relatives, whatever, some of them are upset about it. They, they're looking back at what happened before. But it was God who did all those things. So they're rebelling against God's leadership. So Moses responds to, in, in Moses' response to Korah's rebellion, it says a lot about Moses, a lot about him. In Numbers 16, verse 4, it says, So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. Now, if you, if you go back and, 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 and start studying that, you, you can interpret that a few different ways, but I believe that God is seeking guidance through, uh, Moses is seeking guidance, guidance through prayer. He's seeking after God's guidance through prayer. That's what he's doing. So once he seeks God's guidance, then he goes and he sits down with Korah and he responds to Korah's, you know, uh, basically accusations. And we see this in verses 5 through 10. And it says, And he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the, the Lord will show who is his 
and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. Do this. Take censers. A censer is a vessel uh, where they put incense to, and it was presented on a golden altar before the Lord in the temple. So that's kind of what that is. Korah and all your company put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the holy one. Now, then he basically, he, he, he stops. So that's kind of, okay, here's what you do. I want you to, hey, you, you want to go before the Lord with your incense? You want to make, you want to put yourself in Aaron's place and be like the high priest and go into the presence of God? Okay. Okay. Then he, then he turns here and says, he says to them, remember what they said to him, okay? You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. Is it a small thing to you that the, that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve them and that he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you? And are you seeking the priesthood also? Let me get this right. You're not happy with the, the responsibilities that God has given you? You're not happy with serving the people? You're not happy with your responsibility taking down the tabernacle when they moved on and everything, gathering, and you're responsible for ca- carrying all those things? Go in the Old Testament and see what happens when someone touches something they shouldn't touch. Okay? What happens to them? You're not happy with this? He's, he's asking them. You, you wanna, you're seeking the priesthood also? So Moses, so in verse 5, Moses tells Korah that God will show us who, who he has chosen and, and, and who is holy. God's going to show us that. Now, I want to be absolutely clear here. I mean, for then and now, God is not interested in what seems fair to them. Okay, he's not saying, oh, man, they, they think this is unfair. I'm going to change my whole, my whole approach, my whole, I've had, uh, my attitude is wrong. I'm gonna, he's not concerned at all, at all, at all, what seems fair to them or what they think should happen. This is what I want to happen. God's not sitting around concerned about that. He's concerned about their hearts. He's concerned about their attitudes. So in verse 12, Moses also takes time because, you know, Dadham and Abiram and On were kind of complaining also. So Moses takes the time to sit down and he wants to, he wants to speak to them as well on their issue, the issue they had with his leadership. So the problem here was that they were not willing to submit to Moses' civil authority. Moses had authority over the people. He was the ruler over the entire nation. But they would not submit to his civil authority. They despise his leader. They despise his leadership. And when he calls them, they do not come. They refuse to come. So Moses says, "Okay, I hear you're grumbling. Whatever else, come. Let's. Sit. We need to talk about this." And they they were, they basically refused to come. They were bold at this point in their rebellion, and they're bold because they start their numbers are starting to gather. They got they got themselves. They got the 250 right. The 250 has gathered up all the others in the assembly, and now they got a man. And they're getting they're basically bold in their rebellion. They say, "Here's they say to him. They say, will you put out the eyes of these men?'" The reason they're saying, will you put out the eyes of these men to Moses? Because that was the punishment for treason. They were committing treason. 
And the punishment for treason was your eyes are put out. And they're boldly saying to Moses, what are you going to do? Put all of our eyes out, Moses. You see how many people are gathered up against you? Are you getting the picture here, Moses? Do you understand we've kind of won this one because there, you have your little smattering of a couple people. Look what we have. And of course, of course, even now, right, guys? Might makes right. If it's bigger, it's better. If there's more, they're right. If there's less of you and more of them, they're right. Their position is right. Their theology is right. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Whatever situation you find yourself in, if there's more, that means that they have to be right. Not. And so they're getting bold, and they're basic what they're saying. They got a lot of people behind them, and they are challenging. They, they have this am- amazing show of force. They have all these people, this amazing show of force. They have the tiger by the tail, and they're daring Moses to respond. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? If we're all saying one thing and you're saying something different, who do you think is right? And anyway, even if you, even if we, even if you don't think we're right, guess what? What are you going to do about it? They're, they're challenging him. They're egging him on to respond. Well, Moses, as we've, as we've learned in the past, even the past couple of months, Moses is a very humble man. But the Bible says in our vernacular, basically the Bible says this ticked him off. It really, wouldn't it tick you off? I mean, all you've been through... I mean, the, the things you've had to do to get your people from one place to another and protect them and, and talk to them and talk to them and talk to them. And, oh, we're not going back to Egypt. Oh, shut up. You know what I mean? Right? And so now they're, now they're like, now they have the forces all raised up against them. They're saying, you know, what are you going to do about it? And this, this ticks them off. But instead, but instead of just emotionally reacting, I love this. He does something very interesting. He seems to give them what they want. He says, no, you come tomorrow. Tomorrow. We'll do it tomorrow. Let's not wait. You come with your censers and you have your incense. In other words, you bring your sacrifice before the Lord. You just march right up there, right in there, and bring your sacrifice before the Lord. When I was, when I was, uh, when I was at um, Nyack and I was going to school, my professor would tell us about the priesthood and he would tell us about the, you know, the history of the priesthood and the different, you know, the different uh, rituals and things like that. And he said um, the tradition was that they would tie a rope around the leg of the priest and they would tie a bell on the priest. And then the pre- priest would go into the Holy of Holies to present the, you know, the request to God or, you know, the sacrifice to God. He'd go through and he'd be like, jingle, 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 thud. If you heard a thud, that's what the rope was for. Because you're not going in there to get him out, okay? You drag him out, all right? You don't go in. So jingle, 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 thud, and that's it. So these, Moses is saying, hey, we're all, they were, the chorus saying, we're all holy. We're all equal. It isn't fair. So, and Moses says, okay, you, tomorrow you bring your censers and, and bring your offering to God. Korah and his crew may have thought they had won at this point, right? You got you got the guys behind you. You know, you've rallied the people, you've rallied the troops, and they may have thought they won. See, Moses doesn't shut them down. He doesn't say, I, I've had enough, shut up, you know, take my staff, boing, we're all gone. You know, he doesn't do that. He doesn't shut them down, and he, he doesn't defend his rights or his position of leadership. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. And the reason he doesn't do it because their rebellion was not ultimately against Moses. Their rebellion is ultimately against God. And Moses knows it. So Moses just says, hey, bring your censer and go before the Lord and everything. He, Moses is not going to defend himself. 
He knows ultimately that rebellion is against God. So he doesn't defend God. He lets God defend himself. See what Moses is doing here? I don't think it's malicious. He said, okay, this is what you want. You bring your, you bring your sacrifice before the Lord. Let God defend himself. Not a good thing for Korah and his followers. Okay, not a good thing at all. So Moses also calls out that second part, which I found really interesting. Moses calls out their dissatisfaction with what God had called them to do. In verse 9, he says, is it a small thing? He repeats their accusation. Is it a small thing that God has given you the job of caring for the tabernacle? Is this some small thing? I mean, you, you, treat, it like, you treat it like it's nothing, like it's absolutely nothing. See, here's the thing. They lost perspective and forgot about what they had. They were more concerned about what they didn't have than what they did have. They were complaining and, and whining and frustrated and jealous and everything. They weren't thinking about what they did have, which was pretty awesome. They were thinking about what they don't have. They were looking at the other guy. Why can't I be like him? Why am I here and he's there and this isn't fair? And, oh, I'm being wronged. Remind you of anyone? Right? I pointed everyone. Right. Every once in a while, we don't we're not we're not thankful for what we have. We're frustrated about what we don't have, what someone else has. Here's part. That's part of the problem. That's part of the problem. So then you have this massive gathering in Numbers 16, 18 through 33. You have you have uh, you have Korah and you have the other three, and then you have the 250 princes, and you have uh, and you have the assembly all gathered around. So you have all this mass of people all coming together. They're going to take charge of their lives. They're going to choose their own leaders, and now they have the power to do it. And what is anyone going to do about it? They had the power to do it. Like I said, they had the tiger by the tail. Boy, now it's really going <laughs> to, oh boy, or not so fast. In verse 19, it says, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the assembly. So, okay, yeah, I got to picture this, okay? So the whole, the whole, I mean, we're talking, that was, I, mean, I mean, we're talking the whole assembly is there, the community is there, you got Korah there, uh, Abraham's there, Right? Dedham is there, On is there, they're all there, 250 are there, they're all there, and Moses and Aaron are there, and in Moses, God appears, the glory of the Lord appears, and what does he say? He says, Moses and Aaron, can you separate yourself from everybody else for a second there? You ever watch American Idol? You ever watch like American Idol and those other shows, America's Got Talent? When the judges are deciding... There's like 60 people on stage, right? And you're standing, just picture this now, 60 people around here, and the judges are deciding, and they say, John, step forward. Right? Courtney, step forward. What do they say? John and Courtney, you're going home. No, they say, John and Courtney, you're going through the next round. I'm sorry, the rest of you, your, pay, your, your journey has ended here. It's time for you to go home. Right? This is what's happening. Okay, uh, Moses and Aaron, can you please move forward? And I'm, if I'm back here, I'm Oh my goodness, maybe I picked the wrong side. He says, separate yourself from these people. <laughs> Not a good sign for everyone else, okay? When God says that, can you guys move away? Because I don't want you to get the whatever happens here. And, 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 so, and so you have this going on. And God, honestly, at this point says, I've had enough. 
You, you, have, you have disrespected me. You've dishonored me. You've challenged my leadership. You've challenged my mercy and my love and compassion for you. you, you you've done all of these things. But once again, the character of true leadership comes forward. Rather than just letting God destroy the people, Moses then intervenes. He intercedes on their behalf. I'm sorry, but most people, 98% of the planet would do what? Moses, the poor guy is leading these people. Let's go back and all this kind of stuff. They're constantly challenging him. And what does Moses do? Moses doesn't. What most people would do is say, finally, you're all going to get what you deserve I'm going to stand here and watch. It's like Jonah, right, with the Ninevites. He was hoping they would get wiped out. He hates their guts. And he's sitting there on top of a mountain just waiting that God would change his mind and wipe them out. Moses isn't doing that. He's, everybody else would say, hey, you called down the thunder. Now you're going to get it. You made your bed, people, and now you're going to lie in it. This will teach you a lesson. That's not what he does. He intercedes because Moses, Moses doesn't have anything to prove. Let's go back here. He's not self-righteous. He's not walking around, oh, I am Moses, you bow down to me. He's just doing what God has called him to do. He shows compassion, honestly, for those who are led astray. That's what he's doing. These people were led astray. I'm going to tell you something. In almost, you, look at, you look at wars, you look at people like the American Revolution, it's usually 20% of the people out there fighting and 80% of the people standing back going, well, if we're English, we're English. If we're not, we're not. No big deal. People are easy to sway. When the Antichrist comes after the last few elections, I'm telling you, it's going to be a piece of cake to lead people astray. Oh, he's so handsome. Oh, he speaks so well. Oh, he's so this and he's so that. And they just follow right along. No one gives it really a lot of thought. It's going to be a piece of cake. And Moses knows that it's easy to lead people astray. And so Moses wants everyone, this is what he's trying to teach them. He wants everyone to know, I am not in charge here. I am not in control. God is in control of it all. In verses 28 and 30, it says, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all of these works. He's talking to the people. For I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by a common fate to all men, then the Lord has not sent me. So whatever happens here, if something like they just end up dying and like everybody else normally dies, or if they get hit by a camel or something, well, that's fine. Okay, then we can, you know, then we can say, well, God has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all of their be- that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected Moses? No. Have rejected the Lord. So we have the scene, okay, and Moses intervenes for the, for, the, for the assembly, and we have the scene where the ground opens up and swallows up everyone who had a heart of rebellion. See, Moses was a servant of God, But what this proved, what this kind of showed, what this is kind of trying to tell everyone, Moses is a servant of God, but so is the entire earth. The earth is at God's command. The earth itself swallows them up. It just, the ground opens up and they get sucked down into the ground. The earth itself is a servant of God. In verse 35, 
the, the fire, it says, the Bible said the fire consumes the 250 men who went with their, with their, with their censer and their incense and everything before the Lord. Hey, we're holy like everyone else. They're consumed by fire. Gone. Why? Because we, again, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. His blood covers us so we can enter into the Holy of Holies. We're under a new covenant. We're under a covenant of grace. They were not. And so they, you know, walk right in like, oh, I'm holy and boom. Jingle, 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 thud. Mm-mm. What did, seriously go, well, how could y'all do that? Let me try, try to think about it this way. How amazingly holy God is. God cannot be in the presence of sin of any kind, in any form, at any time. That's why Jesus Christ had to come and die on a cross. So when we accept Christ, we are covered with his blood. You have the Father here, you have Jesus Christ here, and you have Jeff standing back over here. So when God sees Jeff, he doesn't see Jeff anymore. He sees Jesus Christ. He sees the blood of Christ that covers me. So then I can then enter into the Holy of Holies because I have one who speaks to the Father in my defense. This is awesome. They were way ahead of their time. They try to go into the, they try to go into the presence of God without, without the blood of Christ. Mm, not a good thing. They're completely annihilated with fire. You would think, you would think, okay, all of us would think here, that the people would learn. They would learn their lesson and you know, Moses laid it out for them. I'm not in charge and this is God and if this happens, if the earth swallows these people up, then you'll realize that God's in charge and if you thought that, you would be wrong. You would be wrong. Number 1641 says this, the next, the next day, I used to like, what's wrong with these knuckleheads? And then I realized like an older, I'm a knucklehead. I do like God does something for me or God forgives me. And the next day I go out and do something, the same stupid thing, right? So I don't, I don't pick on them anymore. I just laugh, I laugh about them because this is kind of a little bit ridiculous. But the next day, the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You have killed the Lord's people, they said. See, the people were not willing to take responsibility. People are often not willing to take responsibility for their own actions. And so they end up blaming Moses and Aaron for the, for the people who rebelled being killed. They end up blaming, blaming Moses and Aaron. They, they, they had, here's the bottom line. They had no respect for Moses. And worse than that, they still had no respect for God. They didn't understand. They had no respect for God. And again, God responds to their disobedience and their hard-hearted attitude of rebellion by saying, okay, Moses, Aaron, (laughs) step away from these people again. Step away from them. And Moses, being the leader that he is, what does he do? He steps away, but he says to Aaron, Aaron, he says, go and make a sacrifice of atonement for the people. Hurry, 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 hurry. Go make atonement of sacrifice for the people. Aaron, who is the high priest, Aaron, who can enter into the presence of God on behalf of the people and bring sacrifice to God for the people, gets it together, goes in there, and saves all the people just in the nick of time. He saves them. Why? Because Moses is a great leader. Moses is a great leader. Moses understands. Once again, he, he, he leads by protecting them from their own stupidity. 
And I use that word stupidity from a biblical standpoint. He's protecting them from their own foolish stupidity. See, a leader sees not just what a person is at the time, but what they're capable of becoming. A great leader can see not just what a person is. Moses could see beyond. He, he, he stepped in. He stepped in because he could see that there, what the people could become, what the possibilities were for them as a nation. He's the leader. He loves these people. He wants to fulfill what God has called them to fulfill. And so he says, Aaron, Aaron, intercede on their behalf and make a sacrifice of atonement. And he does that because he, he believes that if God continues to invest in their lives, it's not just who they are now, but it's who they can be. See, this story reminds me personally, and it should remind all of us, not to write people off so quickly. So often, I know people, I know people I'm really close to, where you wrong them and you are written off. You are dead to them. They wipe their hands of you. They turn their back on you. You're done. You're, it's over. It's over. Well, the story teaches me, I don't do that very often. I don't really have to do that ever. Um, but it teaches me not to give up on people so easily. Because sometimes, you know, sometimes I kind of, you go through life and you get a little, you know, you see things happen over and over and over again. Do I really want to go through the same scenario with the same type of person? And you do, because you always want to give people an opportunity. You don't want to write people off too quickly. So as we close, I want to throw a couple of thoughts out to you that I want you to hold on to. One is that each one of us needs to look into our own hearts and see if there are any seeds of rebellion in our hearts. You say, seeds of rebellion? I'm not like Korah. Well, okay, but here's the thing. Are you obeying, are you, are you obeying everything that God calls you to do? Or are you rebelling against him when he calls you? I want you to go and I want you to step out and uh, I'm not really sure about that. I want you to give and blah, uh, I'm not really sure about that. Are you rebelling in your heart? Is there a seed of rebellion in your own heart rejecting God's leadership in your life, in any area of your life? So just that, that's between you and the Lord. Just asking the question, is there a seed of rebellion that you need to address? Secondly, be very careful not to align with people who, who look to cause dissension or divisiveness. There are always issues in your school, at work, in the church, or anywhere else. How do you handle that? What you don't do is align yourself with people who are divisive. Don't align yourself with them. If you have an issue, you go to that person, you sit down and you talk to them about what issues that you're seeing. And seriously, in a church, that's a good thing. Hey, I'm noticing blah, blah, blah. What do you think about? Or, you know, I think we should really be careful. Oh, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not God. I don't own Grace Chapel. We can We talk. Hey, I'm seeing, what do you think about? That's how we changed it. And he said it this morning when he said, you know, when, you, when you, people throw things out and they use those things, that's all good. But do not, do not, do not be Korah and gather up the forces. You've got, you're, you're ticked about something. Gather up the forces and then, oh, that's sin. Tell you the truth, regardless, even if the other person's wrong, you're still sinning. So you're both sinning. You may be right and still sinning. It's how you present those. So be really careful how you do that. We need to be very careful before we go and attack and accuse someone God has placed in leadership. We need to be very, very careful about that. Very careful. What we need to do, I just take the church out of the equation for a second. 
We need to read the Word of God and study the Word of God and how it shows us to approach those in leadership. We need to have a Christ-like attitude whenever we're approaching anyone in leadership. We need to sit down. We need to think it through. We need to go to that person and process it through with them and talk it through. That school wronged my child. Ah, well, I'm gonna, I'll show that administration. Well, the administration may be wrong, but guess what? Now you are too. Going and accusing, rallying up 10 more parents to go in there. Hey, get some parents together if you need to. Sit down with the administrator behind closed doors and share your concerns and offer ways that you can help to solve the problem. These are important. Korah and his cohorts did none of these things. So be careful. Pray, ask God to give you guidance, study the word of God, have a Christ-like attitude before you enter in at school, at work, at church, at home, and confront someone in leadership. Just have the right attitude. The other leaders aren't always perfect, but it's how we present it sometimes. Here's the bottom line. We need to honor God with the right attitude, even if we think we're being wronged. Even if we think it's unfair what's happening to us, we have to, it's all about honoring God. We need to honor God with our attitudes, even when we think we're being unfairly treated. Because that ultimately will help us to become more Christ-like. That will bring peace and unity in whatever organization we're talking about. And ultimately, ultimately, that helps us conform to the image of Jesus Christ. And here's just one last thing I was thinking about as I was standing up here. It also sets, what an amazing example to our community. When things happen in the school or when things happen at work or things happen in the church, let's stay with the church for a second, and we handle it in an appropriate way. What a great witness to our community of how we respond and behave as followers of Jesus Christ. And what a very poor example it is when we don't respond that way and people hear about, oh, that I can't believe. So that's really, really important. So let's honor God. Let's honor God and how we respond to those in leadership. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. Thanks for the opportunity to bring us here, Lord, to learn your word. This is an amazing story. This is an amazing truth. This is amazing history. Thanks for giving it to us, Lord, so that each one of us can grow. Each one of us can can learn and understand how we're supposed to respond in given situations. Because ultimately, Lord God, you're in control. Ultimately, you will bring beauty out of the ashes. Ultimately, Lord God, you will help each one of us to become the person that you've created us to be if we just follow your word, as difficult as that may be sometimes. So we want to honor you. We want to glorify you with our whole hearts this morning and for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great, great week.